All right, so we're here at Sidegate. Uh, White Labs has joined us for a fun brew downstairs. We got a pale ale going on right now, but I thought it'd be a great time to talk to Chris White about the journey we have been on for the last 20, how many years? 27 years. Damn, you've been making <laughs> yeast a long time. Yeah. Well, it's been pretty fun to watch you guys grow over the years, and now you have this new product, and uh, pretty excited about it. But uh, let's let's go back to the beginning. I, I remember the first video of you that I remember was proving to the more beer guys that the new packaging works well. Oh yeah, yeah, gosh. We have had a long journey together, and you know, both being in California, um, you know, I was in San Diego at the time, home brewing. That's why I started White Labs there. And uh, I grew up in San Jose, near where your store is here. So, you know, we we had a kind of a good connection from the beginning, and it was all about trying to make the best yeast, right? Yeah. In my home brewing, I was trying to make the best beer possible, which led me to collecting my own yeast strains and growing them in a way that made the beer taste the best, because there's no one way to make yeast. So we still do that same, you know, three week small batch process to produce all of our cultures, but getting them in a package. Is a is a really interesting ch uh, you know challenge for this niche company like ours, White Labs, and people making yeast because we have to get it somewhere. And so when I started uh, selling to home brewers, it was in these uh, kind of laboratory little tubes that we called vials, and kind of flexible film like this for pro sizes. It's funny we've come back to that years later after getting to really rigid bottles with a lot of plastic in those bottles, but. Um, one of the reasons we had to move out of those original orange-capped and blue-capped tubes was because of more beer. Because you guys were shipping the yeast all around the country, and that puts a lot of extreme challenges, and they would leak. And I remember you or Olin saying, hey, Chris, we're going to have to drop you if you, if you don't fix this. <laughs> and uh, it's always a challenge with yeast, and no matter what container it's in, uh, a lot of brewers are probably going, uh-huh, yeah. Uh, we've seen that because yeast creates pressure. It's still alive. It was and there's the split count. billions of cells per yeah. mill, right? And the, even if the tube itself is solid, whatever, the cap isn't, oh. right? So there's different points of weaknesses, and we still work on those things through today. Anyway, I was going to a beer festival in Mammoth and stopped at a store, and there were some candy gummy worms in this really hard tube. And I thought, what is that? Now a lot of people have seen those things from our yeast and oh, lots of stuff now, right? They're preforms for, at the time, Pepsi bottles uh, was what we found. But they were so indestructible. Um, we had to prove it to you by running it over in, in my van. That, that was the first White Labs video that I can remember. Chris, Chris Mueller, Mueller, right? Yeah. yeah. And they throw the yeast way up in the air, let it drop, then drive over it, drive back, hold it up, hold it upside down, and we're like, we're good to go. When we just returned to the caps recently, you know, say a year ago with the pro sizes, and we'll talk about the homebrew size, I was still having problems with those cap, with the new phase of caps, because it's always an issue. So we started, remind, remembered of the 90s doing that, so we started just throwing them at the walls, finding the weak points, and kind of going back and remanufacturing uh, the caps a little bit and the threads and stuff, so now, no leaking at all. That's awesome. And one of the things that I think for us as more beer that separated White Labs out, I mean, there wasn't a ton of yeast companies, liquid yeast companies at the time, but there was a few. And we, we got to go down and visit and the amount of QA you guys do is insane. It, it feels like it's, it's lightning years above everyone else at the time. 
and probably still is. How, how many quality checks do you guys do? You know, especially when you're talking about small batches and now multiple small batches in San Diego daily and Asheville and Copenhagen, it takes a whole team of lab people to, to test uh, at every stage because it takes three weeks to grow it. We don't want to be at the end of the three week cycle and something fails. So we test along the way. That's a lot of uh, plating, you know, petri dishes. That's a lot of PCR now with uh, qPCR. Um, but it's not just equipment, it's people. You know, people that have usually had a degree in biology or biochemistry, something like that, some lab experience. Um, and in San Diego, we're fortunate to have a pretty big biotech community, and so we've always had a, a good ability to hire, but also then the exposure to they leave uh, for the uh, you know, higher paid jobs in the, in the biotech industry. Um, but in Asheville, too, um, it's a smaller town, but, but it's also a, uh, college town and so is uh, Copenhagen of course so we really benefit from being in those cities which are also cool beer cities and breweries uh, but also great people well I don't know if people know this but you guys have locations in all these cities you just mentioned there so that's pretty rad and, and most people don't know that especially on the homebrew side yeah yeah and you know we we were just we eventually knew that as we were growing uh, that San Diego I mean, you could always get bigger and bigger in one spot, but it makes more sense to get the yeast closer to some other things like the East Coast. We both <laughs> did the same thing. Right? Yeah. You did the same thing. Yeah. And it's not just to save shipping costs. I mean, it's a lot more expensive to run another yes. laboratory and building yes. than just paying extra in shipping. Uh, but it's also about the community and, and, and doing better what we do and being closer to our customers. So then you went to these hard plastic, we call them vials still, mm -hmm. uh, but they were the, the blanks. And my, my dad worked for Pepsi, so when you sent that first one, I was like, oh, you got a, a punt or a blank. But those were hugely popular in homebrewing. In fact, people tended to store other things in them afterwards. Yeah. I mean, screws, of course, nothing weird right. or illegal. So why don't you go through kind of that transformation? So since we always think about how to get yeast to the breweries and the homebrew stores and, and things like that, really all over the world now, uh, in the best phys uh, physiology, you know, the highest viability. That's kind of led us to making yeast better at our, in our facilities, but also um, how, they can, how they have the highest viability. When, you know, when I started, when I took the early brewing classes at UC Davis in the 90, early 90s, uh, you know, you'd say, well, yeast only had a few day shelf life. And I remember Michael Lewis one time, uh, the long-term professor, the long-time professor there saying, oh, yeast would always be different if you get it from, uh, 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 from, a, from a facility. That's why breweries all made it their own themselves at that time. So I always thought that was a great challenge. Keep the yeast the same all the time. And uh, I think we do with our cryogenic freezing uh, and people that just work on our freezes and in, in, in our cultures. Um, and that's why I've always been really heavily invested in QA. It keeps our yeast the same, it creates a great process, and, and then try to find a pathway to the highest viability possible. So I knew people might be missing the caps on those vials, but maybe not the pressure that would be created inside, because those could hold like 100 PSI, right? So I wanted to find a way to vent that CO2 uh, out. Um, you can't just do it like coffee or something, because it's liquid. So you can't just put a filter in there or something. Um, so, and then I saw that, you know, in biotechnology, which I'm still close to in some different avenues, um, they were growing a lot of microbes in film. Um, but they weren't thinking about it from transporting 
or concentrated. So we created Pure Pitch, which was a way to grow the yeast in the film instead of stainless steel. But the biotech industry had kind of moved to that because you could guarantee they were sterile better than CIP, a big stainless tank. So that also was beneficial to us. Then heat sealing the yeast in the film, so in concentrated format. So nice thing about film is you can see what's going on rather stainless, but also you can see the culture. Uh, now we can do it for every different strain has a different harvest. So we call that part of that part of the process the harvest. And there's a harvest every day as there's a new new yeast being pitched and different things. So every strain is harvested differently because they grow differently, just like different crops grow differently, different humans have different weights. <laughs> um, and so we, we've really nailed that down. And you, so we can collect the yeast and then we can have them in this film to the brewery so it releases CO2 and keeps the, the viability super high, way higher than anything else out there uh, because we've been focusing on that. Because not only does the, the film release CO2, it, uh, there's no packaging step, no filler or something where you're introducing oxygen. Like in beer, when you package a beer, that's for the oxygen exposure, beer gets oxidized. With yeast, if you get oxygen into the mixture, which you'd have through any filler, uh, it's a little different thing. The yeast think, oh, I got oxygen, I wanna do something with it. <laughs> it's time to activate. So their viability is gonna go down much faster. So by reducing the, so eliminating the oxygen pickup, uh, we don't have that viability drop, and then we have the gas release. Well, it also feels like by eliminating doing that, you no longer have that, that pain point, that risk point of, you know, not just oxygen, but if someone didn't sanitize that equipment well, if uh, anything was to go wrong, that's an easy time to pick up. And so if you're exactly. growing it in here and it's already packaged, you just have to seal it, that's pretty cool. Yeah, you're reducing the potential for contamination, so, and you're improving the viability of the yeast. So we got a couple patents around that. And then uh, the funny thing is, I still get comments today sometimes when somebody says something, um, maybe I, I communicated it poorly in the past, but that, oh, well, of course this was cheaper to do. And I've never run our business that way. <laughs> I guess I could be a better business person if I ran it that way, but I've always been about, uh, ROI will figure itself out, you know? If you make the best thing possible, things will get figured out. And uh, I've led me to a bunch of mistakes, but, uh, in, but also some successes. And um, I, this is way more expensive than it ever used to be to make our yeast. I, I, was part so. of the, I got to be part of the behind the scenes of that project, and I assure you, this is by no means saving money by doing this. Uh, the, the first iterations you did that were in uh, Davis and such, I mean, that you spent a ton of money perfecting this process before you even released it. Right, we built the whole lab here in Davis at a time we didn't have a lot of room in San Diego to create this process. And there was failure after failure after failure after failure for several years. Um, people even in the industry that work with film and heat sealing said, uh, you can't do it, it's impossible. And we sort of like to make the impossible possible. It's fun challenges, so we eventually succeeded. Uh, and it still wasn't perfect, still wasn't perfect, and now it's kind of perfect from a standpoint of it's indestructible. Well, let's talk about the new packaging and the new size, because that's kind of exciting too. It's something we pushed you guys for a long time, was getting more cells, like more and more cells so that the home brewer didn't have to think, didn't have to plan, didn't have to do a ton of work before they brewed. 
Yes, and you know, White Lab started with the idea of pitchable, which didn't exist in liquid yeast at the time. Uh, there were some other producers uh, who, who were good, but you had to grow it up. A brewery would have to buy a liter and grow it up uh, in a barrel. A home brewer, the reason the word starter started <laughs> is because there was nothing to pitch five gallons with. And it's funny, it's still talked about, which is cool. It's become this whole aspect of home brewing, uh, which is really interesting. But at the time, you had to grow the yeast up. So our, our yeast strain numbers, WLP, stands for White Labs Pitchable, because that was a different differentiator, a disruptor, whatever, I don't know, call it at the time, because it wasn't available. But Pitchable has always continued to sort of change in what definition that is, and sometimes that's spurned by competition. So we entered the homebrew yeast market and pro yeast market in 1995 with a much bigger quantity. And now other companies have done that. So, okay, push us, I like that. And that's really the consumer, the homebrewer doing that. You know, we, we kind of went through a lot of different things, but eventually we, we really needed to listen to what people were asking. The number one thing, please make a larger size. Uh, so we decided to try to fuse the other aspect of the number one request, um, having a cap, can you please get a cap again was a big question we got. Um, and I didn't even realize how much of a convenience thing the United States really relies on. Um, so we fused the uh, pure pitch, kind of with the old technology, but it's still grown in the film at pure pitch, um, to have now a larger size uh, with a cap. And there's a lot of technology in this. Um, the film is better. It's not two layers. It's a few, still two layer, but it's fused together. The other one, you kind of cut out the you could cut it out and pull out the inside part, and then, um, but now you don't have to do that. It's all fused together. There's a lot more room on the label for things. We've got a QR code on the back that uh, brings you to the QC sheet and information and a calculator that was all part of this project. Like our calculator is unlike really any other calculator around. The other ones are great. Ours is more specific for white labs, but it tells you millions of cells per mil per degree Play-Doh or just millions of cells per mil. And there's a, a little dial that you can move. Finding it might be the hard part, just like finding the QR code might be the hard part. But you can, you can find out exactly how much volume of this yeast, because it's all at 2.15 billion cells per mil, to achieve a certain pitch rate. And we tell you on the front that it's seven and a half million cells per mil if you use one of these in the five gallons, 20 liters. Um, but you might want 10 million cells per mil, you might want 15. With the cap, you can use exactly how much you want, or you can even use a little bit and make a starter and cap it back up. And we've done a lot of work wondering whether that would reduce the viability, because we're so concerned about viability. And we have found that by opening the cap, using a little bit or how much you want, put the cap back on, it still has the same viability up to the shelf life. Um, which is a very long shelf life, uh, seven months on this yeast. That's, that's kind of what we uh, resulted in. So a larger size uh, with a cap, so really modular. High, we improved, Pure Pitch was a huge leap in viability percentage for homebrew yeast. We, you guys are the ones telling me we don't even talk about that enough because we're so geeky internally trying to get the highest viability. Uh, and that's why you asked me about it today. Um, but we got even another improvement uh, in viability with this new film. If you watch some of our previous videos, the last couple batches, I've gone back to liquid yeast, surprisingly, and uh, been using White Labs again. It's all the same strains, right? We, but we, we worked, one thing, as, as I said, we were able to really refine every harvest by strain as part of this, we call PPNG, Pure Pitch Next Generation process. We had daily meetings for several years. 
And one of the things we did on the pro size is create a connector uh, that um, they can aseptically transfer in line into their beer going into the fermenter. We call that the flex pump. Uh, based on a parasaltic pump, which is very common outside the brewing industry. Anything going into a fermenter would use a parasaltic pump. But since brewers traditionally don't add things into the fermenters for scared, uh, being scared of contamination and uh, uh, oxygen pickup, valid, valid concerns, our industry just hasn't done that as much. But now there's more and more people that want to add biofine in a fermenter, add uh, uh, fruit, um, add zinc, you know, things are, there's more interest in adding things to a fermenter now, so this flex pump can be used for those different things. But I'm pretty sure there's a great DIY solution for home brewers to connect here a small and go into a, uh, not, you know, you wouldn't even really need the parasaltic. You could, I'm sure there, you have a lot of your customers doing big batches. We were talking about making a TC fitting to that thread. Yeah. So we could pitch in our conical by just closed, uh, yeah. squeeze it right in there. And you can, you can squeeze it right in. This is really easy to get out. Um, and we left a lot of headspace here for that reason. Uh, we really wanted to, you to be able to shake it up and get it in. Now, of course, in this, it's a little easier than the pro sizes to get everything out, but uh, it's still nice to flush it. So like toothpaste, do you have any tips for people on, do you roll it, do you squeeze it, do you fold it and roll it? Well, I think the, the biggest one is the WLP002 challenge, English Ale Yeast. And it's the one we really work the most with because it's the most flocking the yeast. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it gets described as being curdled before, um, which is not really true. It's just the way it looks, so yep. chunky. Uh, it's not dairy, but you know, it's chunky. So, you know, we have to have, make sure that that yeast strain, that this cap works for that yeast strain, that the transfer works for that yeast strain. So that one just feels like solid in here, just right? Where California that. ale yeast is a little more jiggly and it's a, a lot better to get out. Like, it's a super flocculent yeast too, only when it's cold, mm. where English ale yeast will be chunky all the time. Um, and this one reason why California ale yeast is a little bit better at attenuation, it stays in solution. But if you chill it, it falls to the bottom very, very well. Uh, it's also why it's a great bottle conditioning yeast. So if California ale yeast is not cold, it's a lot easier to get out. So let's go through that. So somebody gets this in the mail or picks it up at a local store and they're gonna brew in two weeks, so they put it in their fridge. When would you recommend, if they're just gonna pitch right into their fermenter, when do you recommend them taking it out of the fridge? You know, when Jamil Zanishev uh, co-wrote the yeast book with me about 10 years ago, Jamil was really, really big on just go with best practice. If you, t if you tell the person, well, here's the best practice, that's what we should write. And that also changes over time because people find a, another better way to do it. Uh, but traditional stuff that was handed down by brewers over the years tends to be right. They didn't know why it was right, right? But they found better results. And that's why you learn from brewers. That's why you went to school. Uh, they were doing microbiology before knowing there was microbiology, there was microbes, right? So one of the things uh, that brewers would do is, is kind of get the temperature of the yeast close to the temperature of the wort. In lager brewing, that was cold. Uh, so I, I think you wanna get the yeast close to the temperature you're pitching. If you're pitching at 68, you know, give it a few hours. You can give it overnight. It's, it's uh, gonna be okay, but you don't need it, right? I mean, this is already getting close to 68 here. So a few hours, you're brew, you know, when you start brewing, take the yeast out. Whether it's all grain or extract, doesn't really matter. Um, and it's gonna atemperate, which also brings the yeast into a different metabolic state. 
Is it essential? No. If you pitch this cold, it's going to work. The yeast is going to mix in the wort, that's going to start fermenting. But uh, again, going to tradition, in brewers brewing thousands of batches of beer, they would tell you, uh, atemperate it. Uh, and again, that wasn't much when it was cold lagering. And a lot of professional breweries have uh, yeast brinks that are kept cold and they pitch in line. So you can see, it's, they don't go through something to get it to that temperature. So there are lots of examples where people don't do that either. But I think in home brewing, it's pretty darn easy to follow a best practice that, if you call that something that's been handed down, and, and pull it out with your other ingredients. I was gonna say, that's a perfect time. Pulling your hops out, pull this out, let it sit. So then, now they got it, and they're gonna pitch. This seems so much easier than the prior packaging in terms of what you're gonna do. So are you just doing a little spray bottle or what are you doing? Yeah, we're just spraying it. Uh, and then, um, you know, if you have a flame and that kind of stuff, uh, but you know, that's how I used to do home brewing uh, uh, with a little uh, flame, but, but excuse me, it, you know, that's not what the industry does. So um, traditionally, you know, people, uh, again, especially before the advent of some of the thoughts of microbiology, uh, they didn't, you know, there was a lot of open contact. But since I came from microbiology side, I approached homebrewing a little differently. Like I always transferred, I, I didn't pour hot wort or cold wort anywhere. I always transferred it aseptically, which is why I'm excited to get to something that can be transferred aseptically. Mm -hmm. uh, because when you transfer anything through air, it's gonna pick up the microbes in the air. So the more the room's clean, uh, the drafts are prevented, the fans are turned off, a flame is helpful because it just pushes that stuff out and it gives you a nice window of less microbes. It's not sterile, but it's pretty good. Like you can usually have a flame right here and a Petri dish right here. And if you're getting your rooms pretty clean, your, petri, your, your, your cell count, your CFUs that'll grow on this plate might be one or two versus a hundred over here. Yeah, no, I just think that the more you can just kind of pre-work it, know it's gonna come yeah. out well, spray the top, crack it open in a homebrew setting. I know yeah. we're not aseptic in this, but pour it in. We'll find a way someday. Yeah, and if you have some sterile water or something, you know, you could pour a little in there. Um, Good call. You know, bottled water. You can pour a little of that in, put the cap back on, shake it, add that back in too. Cool. Well, we learned a ton about the new packaging, so let's go pitch this yeast. <laughs>